Hi, this is Brooke Lurie, and this is the Brooke Lurie Podcast with my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. You know, recently we had a podcast about depression, and uh, and it was really, uh, you know, it, it involves so many different subjects. We We talked really mostly about how the Robin Williams death kind of evoked all sorts of issues about depression and what does it mean and how we can avoid depression, right? Uh, but now I want to talk about a different side of depression. And we, we kind of alluded a little bit to it in the previous podcast where it was a question of, um, is, it, is this a, a disease of affluence, right? We, we mentioned that in the passing. So the, the question, and I really want to explore it, is why is it happening here in America much more, and I think it is, than it is, let's say, in Iraq. Now, offline, our, you and I talked about how places that are suffering, uh, such as North Korea and, uh, of course, the, the Yazdini people in the Iraq area uh, who are being slaughtered, you know, we obviously have, our lives are much better than their lives. There's, there's by any stretch, you can say that it's much better. Um, let's take the example of uh, a Yazdini father who just watched his children being slaughtered and then watched his wife or his daughter being sold into slavery, uh, sexual slavery. Okay. And now he's all alone. And in addition, he's of course very hungry and he's starving and he's cold and miserable, uh, in the Hills. Uh, what is he thinking? Is he thinking, man, I really am depressed. I, I need a Xanax. No, he's not thinking that at all. He's not, he's not going to Prozac because that's not going to help him, is it? Here's what he's thinking. He's thinking, this is a horrible thing that happened. I got to get myself the hell out of here. Go somewhere where it's reasonably safe, whether that might be India eventually or, or even Pakistan for that matter. And eventually get to America or some other country that will take me. And then I'm going to come back and kill these mother effers. Okay? This is my life's goal. Okay? He's not going to be depressed. He may be consumed by this, yes, but he will not be depressed. It is a horrible thing that he experienced. He will experience a lot of pain associated with it. But it's not about depression. That's a key thing. So it begs the question... Uh, it seems that depression seems only to exist in America or affluent societies and where, where the pills are, are, are plentiful and such. But why is it not happening in these other countries where they truly are suffering? Where they should be depressed. Yeah. Based they have, on our criteria and perspective. Right. They have every cost to say, I'm depressed and here's why. One, two, three. Yeah, I can't get out of bed. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I lost my daughter. Because I totally understand that. I, by the way, I do remember once a gentleman, a uh, very wealthy man in Connecticut, and very sadly, uh, his daughter died um, because of a terrible reason. She climbed the attic and a bat bit her, and they didn't realize that it was a rabid bat. And they... They didn't think that it was necessary because of the statistics in terms of having to take care of this. But it turned out that the bat was rabid, and she died of rabies. And uh, the little girl was only 10 years old at the time. And 
you know, it, it had already been a year or almost a year since she had died, and we went over to dinner. Um, and the man was so distraught, he he just stayed up in in his bed, and he said, "I can't, I can't function." And we understood, we understood. Um, you know, there's there's a point in our lives where we wonder what we would do if if one of our treasured children had died, or for that matter, all of our children. Um, I thought about it the other day. I, I can tell you that if if all my children died, I think I would probably just kill myself. I don't know if I could I could live under those conditions. Just I, I just don't know if I could do it. Now, if only one of my children died, or two of my three children died, I would find a reason to stay on, because I would want to take care of that third child and make sure that uh, he still has a daddy. I would still feel obligated that way. But I don't know if I could continue on. Maybe, maybe it would be well, a different story. More children. Uh, that's another thing. But now I'm, fi- I'm almost 51. I don't know well, that it makes you've any got sense. A good 20 or 30 years. That's a good point. Okay. okay. You're not a woman whose <laughs> clock is ticking down here. All right. Well, we'll talk. That's another discussion <laughs> one day. Okay. Fair enough. But depression seems to be uniquely, and I'll say American, but uh, uniquely a Western thing. And. And then it makes you, you said this phrase, and I want to give credit to you, Ari. It was that depression is, in a sense, a luxury. And I'm not talking about the people like the, the, the father I was just telling you about. You know, he, was, he truly was depressed. He, he, he was immobilized. He was paralyzed by the loss of his daughter. I, I understand that fully. But I'm talking about the people who are just depressed because they're depressed. Nothing bad has happened really in their lives. In fact, they might be very wealthy. They might have. Uh, they might be at the pinnacle of their careers, but they're still depressed. Nothing, you know, has caused them to be depressed, other than their being depressed. And we talked before in the previous podcast about how God is a very good source of of, uh, uh, of avoiding depression, and how exercise is help, helpful in that department as well. So it begs the question: Is depression a luxury? I know it sounds crazy, and it's your phrase, Ari. I, I thought it was a great one. I'm the cruel guy who came up, comes I, up with these things. But it's but it's Blame a me. but it's a good description, and it's it's it, it's worthy to ask the question: Is depression a luxury? And what do I mean by that? I don't think you even were thinking about this particular point. Why would we even entertain that thought? Because it is a luxury in some sense. Because here we are. Saying "woe is me," it is a self. It's an indulgent uh, behavior. That's what it is. Because in depression, there is a lack of perspective. There is a surrendering to the world as you think it is for the moment. Uh, the black cloud, as some depressed people call it, and you surrender to that vision, and you say the world is terrible, and you need to fight it. We all need to fight something. And you need to fight it. That's what it is. An alcoholic fights alcohol, his craving for alcohol at least, right? Uh, you know, we don't, we don't say, oh, poor guy, he's just indulging in his alcoholism. We don't, we don't do that. We say, stand up for yourself and say no to alcohol. That's what you do. And likewise, if you have a drug addiction, we don't, we don't celebrate his drug addiction. We don't say, poor guy, he's got a drug addiction and, you know, well, there he is, off, and, off to the drug land away. Uh, likewise with gambling addiction, likewise with smoking, like with so many things. 
But when it comes to depression, we allow people to indulge in it, right? Well, we do, but also, and the, the reason I coined the term is because we're comparing it to people in, in places on planet Earth that are truly hells on Earth, North Korea, uh, where Christians are being slaughtered in Syria or Iraq, you know, any number of places. And in those places, no matter how depressed you are, you don't have the luxury to sit around in bed because you're going to get killed. Right. You, you can't mope. That, that's why, like, for the, the poor gentleman, and like you, I have nothing but sympathy and empathy for him. It's just right. an unbelievable thing happened to him. But if that happened in Syria or in some place where it's infested with Ebola... You can't lay around and wait for the plague to get you. Yeah, that's right. He, this this man we're talking about, and he, he really is a remarkable man, by the way. He's a very nice man, uh, very wealthy. But and that's my point. He was very wealthy. He was he was able to be paralyzed because he didn't have to worry about making sure that there was enough food on the plate for the rest of his family. He didn't have to worry about a lot of a, a lot of different things. He, he didn't have to. You know, he didn't have to worry about making sure that his family was warm, that, that, that had enough food. He could literally sit in that bed for three months and not have to worry about anything. Let me ask you Maybe three questions. years. How many Holocaust survivors have you met in your life? I've met about uh, a handful. 30, tops, something like that. I have met Elie Wiesel, who are, you know, he's an incredible man. I yeah. mean, he's, in a sense, the ultimate, uh, he, he's a symbol of the, the Holocaust. Right. I met him, too. When I was yeah. in high school, he gave a speech at my high school, and I got to meet him. I've met a handful of Holocaust people who were actually in a camp. Right. None of them have ever been depressed. Right. My grandparents are from the World War II generation. Uh, one set of my grandparents escaped Germany and helped build Israel. Another set of my grandparents escaped Poland and yeah. Russia. Yeah. The Polish family on the last boat or one of the last boats out of Poland not depressed. How easy if they grew up in our luxurious generation would they be able to spend the rest of their lives depressed? Oy, I lost my whole life. My friends are all dead. My, right. It, it would be it would be, it'd be an immediate luxury easy to do and it's very indulgent. Indulgence is a very powerful word here. Uh, I like that word indulgent because it's so descriptive of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's extra hot fudge on a Sunday. That indulgent. That's indulgent. And it's indulgent, for example, to say, look, I need that alcohol. I'm going to have it. I'm going to indulge myself and watch out world, whatever the consequences may be. Now, look, uh, Dennis Brager talks about uh, the the moral obligation to be happy, right? Um, And when he says a moral obligation, he means a whole bunch of different things. But among other things... It's respecting the fact that you are a participant, a participant in life. And when you go around moping all day long about how the world is looking at you and woe is me for whatever reason, irrational or rational, you're opposing yourself on everyone else. No one wants to be around that. And it's, it's, you're, you're making life difficult and unpleasant for everyone else. So um, you really got to fight this. This depression thing. I understand it. I understand the pain of being depressed. As I mentioned to you, I had my own anxiety issues for, for a good three or so years, and I dealt with it. And I had to fight it. Was it the worst anxiety? I, probably not in the world. Um, on a scale of, of one to ten, uh, zero being a, you know, a healthy person with no irrational anxieties, I was probably a two, you know, maybe a three on, on a bad day. And 10 being, of course, just imagining demons all, all day long. 
But nevertheless, I dealt with it. And you've got to, you have a responsibility to be a productive member of society. That's what your obligation is. So fight it, fight it, fight it. Um, something else we talked about offline, which is very related to this. I wonder, we wonder collectively, those who have conservative values versus those who have liberal values. How many of, if you took all the world to do the Venn diagram, right, of, of all the depressed people in America, what proportion of them would be people that would describe themselves as liberals or conservatives? 700%. (laughs) Um, Would it be 50-50 exactly down the line? Would would there be no correlation between your politics and your depression? Or or how about this? How about your belief in God? We talked about this before. Uh, If you did that same Venn diagram and asked how many of those people that are all depressed have a strong core belief in God, uh, I would say the tiniest sliver, a very tiny sliver. I mean, surely there must be a couple. And many of those would be medical diagnosable depression yes. for a physiological reason. You, you talked about diet or other things. Right. It would be something like that, not just, uh, I don't feel good. Yeah, good point. Uh, and we really should be not talking about the margins because there's always the margins of people who are, you know, there's something so crazy in their brain. Yeah, that there's they, always an exception. They, yeah, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the exceptions. Uh, some people who you need to take such drugs in order to just sustain their lives um, that could not possibly function no matter how, how much they went to church, no matter how much they exercised. Or how many times they voted Republican. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so so there, there are those people. And you know what? I think that that percentage of those people who who just they, they basically have to be hospitalized. They have to be institutionalized at least. I think it's the same percentage of those people who are very fat and 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 uh, they truly have a glandular issue. Most people who are fat, uh, you know, I'm not talking about over and I'm not talking a little bit overweight. I'm talking about obese. Most of them, the reason why they're obese is because they've got uh, hand to mouth disease. <laughs> That's what it is. They, they put, Sometimes two hands. To do it. Exactly right. They stuff themselves, and, and they just they lack self-control. And it's not even that. It's, it's, it's an addiction, just like we talked about before. And it, I think the percentage is about the same. The people that, that can never be thin, no matter how little they eat, no matter what they eat, I think that's about the same percentage in terms of the people who must have drugs in order to survive in society. Okay, it's a very small fraction, very small fraction. I would say a fraction of, of the total de- de- depressed people as there are uh, gay people. How about that? Which is 1.6% apparently. <laughs> um, how do, by the way, I, I was, we, we should have another topic about this. Uh, only recently now it comes out the surveys saying that or showing that 1.6% of the population is gay. And we've made this inc- entire world around it. But anyway, let's let's talk about let's talk That's about that. a whole world of subjects. That's like a thirty <laughs> podcasts in a special series. I know. But, I know. But but you know, yeah, it, but it just it just goes to show your analogy of raw numbers within total population is accurate. You know, yeah. but but we're not talking about those uh, slivers or like you said, those little outlying. Numbers. Yeah, nothing, about, nothing on the margin. We're talking about what you and I observe because we know. Dennis Prager has a great saying. He says, "If you do a study 
And the study doesn't tell you exactly what you knew already. It's worthless. It's probably worth it, yeah. And you and I, being that we're from Los Angeles, that we see huge numbers of the environmentally upper class, the hipster uh, countercultural, the stoned out blitzers, we know all of those categories are predominantly depressed. And right. none of them are conservative or god Right. That's exactly right. Look, so it would be a curious thing. I, there must be a study to this effect. And so I'm going to, after this podcast, I'm going to do a little research. I'm going to show on, on this. There must be a study. And if there's not one, we should, we should do one. And, uh, and I know how to do studies on these things. I know, I know how to make it double blind. I know how to make it statistically meaningful as well. You only need, by the way, only like 200 people to make a statistically meaningful uh, study. So, and then just ask them point blank. You, I, and all I would do, just, just to set it all up, is to say, give, give me half the population. Give me, give, me, uh, give me half people who identify strongly as conservative, half of them as liberal. And then ask them a bunch of questions like, what's your favorite color? Things that we don't care about, right? And then also say, do you suffer from depression? Do you have hypertension? Uh, other things. And the, but the depression question is the one that we really want, right? Yeah, I love the favorite color. What's your favorite color? Moth. <laughs> yeah. Taupe. Let them write whatever they want. It won't, it won't even be a, a, a multiple choice. It'll just fill in the blank, whatever you want. You know, fuchsia. So, that's a happy color. That's right, happy. So um, these, are, these are interesting questions. And, and the questions... You know, in my old company, we used to say the questions are more important than the answers. So let's, let's ask that question. And, and if it's true, if it is true, as we suspect, you and I, that conservative people are far more happy and there are, uh, if you take all the depressed people in the world, the vast majority of them are going to be liberal, would that mean something to you, my liberal listener, if you are liberal? Do you take stock in that? D- does that tell you something about conservatism or is it yet again another example of something that may be true but uh you know in terms of its effect including you know believing in god and having a relationship with god and all the good things that stem from god but you still don't want to accept god in your life because you feel that there is no god and and you don't want to believe in hocus pocus and you don't want there to be a god right so so you'd rather wallow in depression because you feel that you're more realistic you understand, uh, than that silly conservative who believes in God. But you're better off because you know what's what in the real world and that there is no God. Which is ironic because we just talked about how uh, they lack perspective, the people who are depressed, right? The very definition of somebody who's depressed is that they're out of whack with reality. That's the whole point. So why anybody would embrace depression as a form of reality is, uh, is, is inherently self-contradicting, right? I had a friend of mine uh, who, who did suffer from depression, and he was telling, telling me about his pills, but he was not one of those people on the margin. He was an attorney uh, that worked with me, and I remember one day he was talking about how life is meaningless, and he, how did he describe it? He said, life is a series of miserable events punctuated by happy moments, you know, that's it. That's the way he viewed life. So he had some happy moments. Yeah, well, like, like, <laughs> like yeah, like the, the birth of uh, of his nephew. He was happy about that. Okay, fine. But then, but but then the status quo, the default position, was misery for him. 
All right, and it should be, of course, the opposite, and there's no reason to be miserable. Um, there's always something, you can always find something good in almost every moment in life. It's, it's very interesting. Um, but, but this is what he'd said, and, and I remember him standing in the, hall, the, the, the hallway of my, uh, you know, the threshold of my door, and I said, we'll call him Johnny. Johnny, you need to exercise, and that will do it. And he said, oh, will that do it, do you think? You know, he was Joe Expert on the, on the depression. And he would, he'd gone to all sorts of therapists. And I said, yeah, yeah, it will. For you, yes, it'll do it. <laughs> and he was just hopping mad. And he stomped away from my office. Because uh, I was sick of him just imposing his, as we just talked about that, Bringing the cloud into your Yeah, I don't, I don't need this. You know, you could see the rain cloud on, right. raining on him. Um, and it reminds me of a song because it's exactly on point. But, and he stomped off to his, his office. And then, don't you know, maybe two months later, uh, you know, without any, you know, connection whatsoever, he he'd got himself a dog because he thought it would make him happy. It didn't really make him happy. It was a brown Labrador. But it was a very energetic Labrador, okay? Which meant Made that... him walk. <laughs> not walk, but he had run. to run, right? And he was telling me about how he had to run with this dog in order to satisfy, you know, the, the energy needs of this dog. And, uh, and he would just... He was smiling. And he was saying, just feel really good after this running. This is really good. And I said, I told you so, Johnny. And he said... F you! <laughs> he couldn't stand being that I was right about the issue. F you! And I said, take this moment. Understand, every time you go running, ask yourself, why do I feel good? Everything seems to be in place, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's what running does for you, by the way. It's the great perspective maker. It's, it's hard to go on a hard run, or not even a hard run, just a good 15-minute run where you're, you're pounding some endorphins, and at the end of it, not see things very clearly. It's really a wonderful way to make decisions. Sometimes I, people say you sleep on it, which I think is a good idea. I often run on it. I'll make a decision after a good run, and I find that I, I make good decisions. Anyway, this is what I did. So now back to the song I wanted to tell you about. There is a Travis song. I don't know if you know Travis. It's a good band from England. And they, they had a song called, and it was, it was a hit for a while, um, why, why, is it, why, is it so, why does it always rain on me, right? And the lyrics are hilarious. Um, why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? <laughs> um, and, and talks about all these things where uh, he views the world as constantly raining on him. The reason why it's raining on you is because you've decided that it's raining on you. That's why, okay? And if you decide otherwise, if you decide the blessings in your life, uh, then, then great things can happen to you. You know, when, when I find a parking spot, I think to myself, that's the luck of Barack. There it is. Of, of course, I forget all the times that I have a difficulty finding a parking spot. But you know what? I choose to look at it that way. And by and large, good things happen to me because I look for the good things. Look, just the same way that some people, um, when they want to get pregnant, uh, the, the woman, is especially, they, they have difficulty getting pregnant, Everywhere they look, there's a pregnant woman, right? Every time you want to buy a particular kind of car, um, I have a uh, Nissan Pathfinder. And when I was in the market for a Nissan Pathfinder, that's what I wanted. Everywhere I looked, there was a Nissan Pathfinder, right? That's just the way it is. 
Um, if you if you want uh, if you're a bald guy, you, you view everyone who has hair um, and just that's the way you view the world. This guy has hair, that guy has no hair. Blah, blah, blah. Right? That's the way you view it. And likewise, you can choose to view the world in terms of good things and bad things. If you want to be happy, look around you and you'll see good things happening all the time. Right? Uh, from, the, from the receptionist to the guard downstairs to the people you talk to, to even to opposing counsel, to the judge, you'll find ways of seeing good things happening. You'll find it. Just look for it. And, and suddenly the world is not such a bad place after all. And by the way, as we said in the previous podcast, people are really not focusing on you as much as you think. If you remember that, you're halfway there. Okay? They're focusing on themselves much more than you think. Absolutely. People are, they care a hell of a lot more about themselves than they care about you. And if you want proof of that, notice yourself as you walk throughout the day. Okay? And ask yourself, how many people did you actually notice? And you'll, you'll realize that you didn't notice anybody. Okay? Why are they noticing you and you're not noticing them? Yeah, you'll also notice if you do that, you'll be incredibly miserable and incredibly nervous and self-judgmental. And you'll be paralyzed and you won't be able to do anything. Because everything you do, you'll be it's saying, oh, should I have done that? Should I have done that? Should I have done that? And right. And you're wondering all the time. You'll be depressed all the time. I had an idea. You know uh, those birthright trips that they send to Israel? To Israel. Yeah. And um, the kids' studies show... The obvious, that kids come back loving Israel and loving America more and feeling more connected to Judaism or God or whatever it is. Sure. How about this? Birthright depression tours called the By the Grace of God Go We tours, <laughs> where we round up the depressed, usually liberal, Democrat, God-hating, God-not-believing people, and send them for to a two-month trip, sightseeing trip to the best of North Korea's gulags. Right. Or, or well, with, you can't, you can't with, go there, but, but Chad, let's say, or Uganda. Well, I'm thinking, you know, we could construct our own. You know, right. The, we don't have the armed guards with the bullets but and, you know, the, the torture, but you feed them that diet. Right. You know, yeah. which boggles the imagination. If they come back, I would bet you they come back happy as little clams. Oh, and, and appreciative, too. It reminds me of what you It would also said. cure anorexia <laughs> completely. I appreciate, uh, they would come back so appreciative. I'll tell you a funny story. When my brother, uh, who's you know, a great movie director and, and he's such a, such a talented man, he's so smart also. I really, really appreciate his uh, insights and his humor. And it's just, he's a good guy all around. I, everything about him I like. Uh, unfortunately, he's liberal, but that's, that's another story. I'll forgive him for that, right? Uh, but he's, he's a really good guy. And there's a story. <laughs> He wasn't getting good grades. I think this is like in third grade or fourth grade for him. And um, my dad did a very interesting thing. Um, he, he took him. We lived in Connecticut at the time. And he took him to New York City, which at that time was really dilapidated, terrible, and everything else. It's just terrible. And he goes to, in the middle of the winter, he just drives him past this area, a really poor area, and he sees a bunch of men huddled around, you know, a, a, an old rusty... The trash can with the flame. The fl- yeah, flames. And then they're, they're huddling, you know, around it with their arms around it with the you know, torn off mittens and everything else. Like, you know, the sweatshirt hood and everything else. And, uh, and he turns to my brother and says, see these guys, Rod? He goes, yeah. They didn't get good grades. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they ended up with. 
<laughs> my brother, he was scared straight. Okay. And uh, he comes back to, to me and he, he says something extremely funny. I won't bother to say it here. But, but he, he was so funny about it. And he, he was really scared. And he came back, you know, really motivated. I mean, obviously motivated, but more importantly, appreciative. I think he understood that he's got, a, he's got an opportunity here and he's going to make the most of it. And, and he was a good student, um, you know, not an A-plus student, but he, he worked hard. Um, he had a great imagination, and I think he, he did very well. He went to West Point. I mean, you have to have fantastic grades to get to West Point. So uh, I'm very proud of him, and uh, he's a very brave guy as well. Um, so, I, you know, maybe that was the moment for him. But I remember speaking of what you were just talking about, the, the there but for the grace of God go I tour. Um, we traveled, we lived in many different countries and we lived in Germany, which is not a poor country in and of itself, but it's nothing compared to America. What they consider middle class would definitely be poor here. So I appreciated America. So when I tell my kids uh, not to complain and I, I tell them why, I said, you should be so thankful that you're living in this country, in this state, in this city, at this time in the world's history, you should be so... And, and to, to have parents who both love you, both of us, who are both dedicated to being great parents, that neither of us is an alcoholic, that neither of us beat you. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> well, no, we, we, we don't have to. I mean, obviously. But the, the point is that, that we're dedicated to them. You should be ecstatic. Ecstatic. This depression crap, that dog don't hunt. Not in this family. Not that they ever tried it. They're not depressed. But I won't even let them complain because they really don't have the right to complain. Okay? When you're, when you're in North Korea, suffering as you do, you can say, my lot is really bad. I'm going to try to improve it. But even they don't complain. So don't And complain. they've earned the right. They've earned That's the right. If anybody's earned the right, yeah. they have earned that right. Anyway, I, 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 so we started off by talking about the, the indulgence and better yet, the luxury of depression. And ask yourself, if you are finding yourself kind of bemoaning your life for whatever reason, take a moment and ask yourself, am I indulging myself? Is this, is this really a, a fix for me? Is this is something that I'm enjoying in a strange way? Because you know what? It's a man's way out. It's just, that's what it is, okay? You need to deal with the problem. And you need to work at being happy, and you need to, be, to work at laughing at yourself. You need to work at gaining perspective. Now, before you say, Barack, what do you know about depression? I know a lot about it, okay? I've, I've studied it. I've experienced it. I'm not an expert. That's true. But you don't need to be an expert in this area. One thing I do know is that it is a form of indulgence, and it's unacceptable it should be unacceptable to you. Do not wallow in it like a pig wallows in mud, okay? Depression is not your friend. Get out of it, fight it, gain some perspective, and find some way. I suggest God and exercise. How about that? Well, my friends, something to chew on, and I hope you've enjoyed it. This is Barack Lurie. 
Brock Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Oh,